Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. My name is Amit Man. Please do rate, review, subscribe, and on YouTube, like and subscribe there as well. Joining me today is Samson Folk of Raptors Republic. He wrote a piece recently about Pascal Siakam called Pascal Siakam and Divergent Progression, which is a hell of a title actually just in itself. But then you move on to the rest of the piece and you realize, oh, this is actually a very uh, exceptional piece of writing, a very detailed piece, and also maybe a needed piece considering kind of where Pascal Siakam is when it comes to his progression as a player, um, how is how he's viewed as a player from, um, I guess, different, different people, um, hardcore Raptor fans, average Raptor fans, low-key Raptor fans, people that kind of follow the team sparingly, and then also the NBA abroad. So I guess what uh, brought on the piece and why did you feel it was necessary now, Samson? Well, I think it starts with like all the trade talks that were reported. And then there's something on Raptors Republic called the quick reaction, where basically a bunch of fans flood into the comment section right after a game. And you can see what the sentiments of the fan base are, not only there, but on Twitter. And the sentiments, obviously, I think for anybody who was looking, were extremely negative for Pascal for relative to what we've expected, maybe a year and a half, a very long time. And it reached a fever pitch, I think, when the team started losing games, when he returned to the lineup. And I didn't think that was an accurate representation of how good the team was. And so Lewis and I, Lewis Satsman and I actually did for our newsletter, you know, an episode about how that might have been misconstrued and how that was looking, you know, a bit different than the actual facts of what was happening on the court. And now he was in such a good run of form that it felt like a good time to not celebrate what he's been doing, but to do a deep dive and provide like ironclad statistical um, precedent for why this is good, why it's helpful and why he's a unique and necessary part of the Raptors. Um, definitely. Lewis, I've had him on uh, once or twice too. Very talented fellow. So also follow Lewis and all his work because he does exceptional day-by-day content on the Raptors and everything abroad. Uh, just on Pascal, and it's kind of a broad question, but also it, I think it's going to probably narrow the focus um, once you answer it, is how many Pascal Siakams are there in the NBA when it comes to his ability to score, pass, rebound, uh, shot creation, um, the amount of players he can guard on the perimeter, uh, uh, down on the post, factoring all those things, which again is a lot, but how many player types are there like him? Would you say? Yeah, there's there's probably less than five, and it depends how charitable you want to be with you know your idea of what he is, right? The closest amalgam probably is Julius Randle, and I know that there's been kind of a head-to-head <laughs> expectation uh, yeah. between those two guys. But if if you want to look at a guy who creates a similar amount of looks for teammates, will rebound the ball similarly, and uh, will also you know. He'll shoot jumpers if a team is dropping low. He's going to try and get to the rim, get to the free throw line. Julius Randle is there. and But I, I do think Pascal Siakam is a better player than Julius Randle. But I do think like they're of a similar stock, I guess, as far as what they're able to do on the floor. There's just nuances that uh, differentiate them. And then there's sure. guys at the top end like LeBron James who... You know, he does so many things well that you could compare him to almost any player at any point in time if you wanted to, just to narrow it down. Which isn't even fair because he's, which isn't even fair because LeBron is like in fuego of every version of every player in NBA history, it seems like. But yes, absolutely. I see it. I see your vision. Yeah. And like guys like Giannis, for example, is uh, they're playmaking in a similar fashion, I suppose. And the point is that, you know, I know why you asked that question is because he's a really unique presence in the NBA. And that's actually something that you can see with uh, Scotty Barnes as well, who's coming up is like, mm. it isn't just static isolations for this big wing or small forward type of player. It's that these guys are um, contributing in like a very 
wide manner of play types and situations. And Pascal Siakam, as a screener this year, out of the post, in isolation, spotting up as a cutter, in transition, has just been doing so much for the Raptors. And, you know, that isn't something that can be replaced by any one player, usually at any given time. There's very few players that look like Pascal. And so that's one of the most unique things about him, not to mention the defense, right, where he travels almost more miles than anybody else per game and has his highest rebound rate because the Raptors need to close out defensive possessions. You can mm-hmm. see him guard guys like Luke Kennard, a, a sharpshooter, or Reggie Jackson, you know, a, a quick twitch point guard. And you can see he's still a guy who gets back to clean up the defensive rebounds and gives you that core coverage defensively. He's a, he's a super unique presence in the NBA. Yeah. You mentioned the, the miles ran per game. I love that stat. It's a, it's a, it's one, it's a very raptory stat, but I think it's relevant uh, 2.6 miles per game over the last eight, which I believe is fifth in the NBA. And he's above Fred, who I I'm sure Fred doesn't appreciate that because that's one of his stats that he absolutely loves. And also Scotty Barnes is up there. OG and Obi, all, all of them. It's kind of the, the Raptors style, but just with Pascal, it kind of speaks to how unique he is because at his his body type, you know, 6'9", 230 pounds, um, it's not necessarily easier or it's not typical for a player of his stature to be able to cover that kind of ground. Um, looking at what he's done over the past eight games, for anyone who isn't aware, um, obviously there's been a process with him getting back to his form and where he wanted to be. Um, 25 points. Yes, we round up. That's what we're going to do here. 29, 29% from three, which we're hoping is going to improve over time. Uh, 10.5 rebounds, six assists, 1.3 steals per game, and one block. Um, that's a mouthful, but it means just how unique he is on the court and how important he is to the Raptors. And for those who spoke about, yeah, he's uh, earlier on, maybe the Raptors were struggling with once he came back, but it's because of how much of a presence he is. There is going to be a process in which you have to incorporate a player like him who is just going to be such a force on both ends of the court. And it's going to mean there's going to be some jockeying for position, not in a bad way, but they're going to have to learn how to play with each other. And just factor that in along with the Raptors incorporating Scotty Barnes, making sure that he gets his reps, his time to continue to improve the new system that they're also trying to implement. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of shuffling that had to take place. And so losses happen. And I think that was kind of part of it. You mentioned the players that you, you mentioned, Giannis. Uh, Jalen Brown is someone that kind of came to mind a little bit just because of uh, their ability to influence a game on both ends of the court. But like you said, there are nuances in their games in ways that they're going to be a little bit different things that Jalen Brown is going to be probably better at. And then, you know, you could say Pascal is probably a better playmaker, but Jalen Brown is probably a better pure scorer, for instance, or uh, Brandon Ingram is another one that kind of came to mind, but he's just not the, the player defensively. He's not as strong. And so like you had said, like, it's just, there aren't too many players like Pascal and, one of your lines from your piece I really liked is he has to figure out the hierarchy for his bevy of talents. Because when you're a person who is able to do so much on the court, it's almost like you're, you're struggling with yourself at times. Like what should you, you know, put precedent at a certain time? What are you trying to accomplish? What is the best thing to use at particular time against this player and I would imagine I mean it's kind of why some players have like specific moves their favorite moves Pascal has his has his his, uh his spin move that was one of the things that people love to uh, laugh at that all he had was his spin move but even like LeBron's FU3 that he loves right like there are certain things that players have that that that's in their comfort zone he probably didn't have enough of that in his game over the years which is okay because I I forget myself too that he's only been playing NBA basketball for five years. <laughs> I forget that, you know. And two of those years have been you know COVID riddled, and for I'm that's the same for anyone, right? That's the same for all players who are trying to you know develop their game. But considering how late in his life that he started to play basketball, losing, not losing, losing isn't the right word for it, but, you know, having two years of your basketball career affected at this juncture of his career, when he's trying to become the guy, right. I use this quotes for anyone listening. Um, it's, it's a huge impact on what he was going to be and how uh, I'm sure he was perceived in, in himself and how others perceived him as well. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on what I just said. That was kind of a mouthful. Yeah, no, that's that's great. It gives a lot of things to respond to. And that that goes to the basically the title of the piece is like divergent progression is that there's 
it is, I think, kind of a cliche in any conversation about sports is people say progression isn't linear. And that's to refer to like, you're going to have ups and downs, but Pascal Siakam has been sides to sides because he's developed in, I think, intriguing and unique mm. ways. And especially when we look at the pull-up three, how he shot the pull-up three on basically three attempts a game in 2019-20, his second team All-NBA season, at 34%. Yeah, That is higher than Fred Van Vliet is shooting the pull-up three currently. Like the fact that Pascal mm. Siakam got the max contract and was asked to emulate Kawhi, who left, because they still had so many bigs on the roster and did it at that type of effectiveness. And then obviously the, the effectiveness has waned, so he's moved away from it. And he's gone to the mid-range to help supply a little bit of what Serge Ibaka left. Like, you know, the Raptors in their offense, they have that, that release valve for so many years that they'd go to the mid-range when the offense was kind of grinding to a halt. And Pascal mm-hmm. doesn't even need to be serviced in that area. He just takes it there himself. He doesn't need to be passed into those opportunities. He can keep the chains moving. And especially with his defense, like his, his rim protection and his ability to close out defensive possessions, these are things that he's doing for the first time in his career. And he's already had an accolade as high as all NBA second team. And he's still trying to pick up extra things because the team requires it. That's really unique. And as you mentioned as well, having like a hallmark play that you do, for example, like, Damian Lillard, his comfort zone that he would go to, that would be the pick and roll. And he would run that at like a crazy, crazy clip. The frequency is really high. Same with Trey Young. These are assisted plays. And not assisted as in what we think of an assist, but he is receiving screen help from people. Pascal Siakam, because of how he's, you know, how they've decided to develop him in-house, is a guy who his high-frequency play is in isolation. There is no (laughs) assistance there. There is no help. And the Raptors have never been super, well, Nick Nurse has never been super into giving him a ton of on-ball reps in the pick and roll. So he doesn't get screen help very often. And every once in a while, they'll run that horns flex and Scotty will make a great pass. He'll get a a layup or something. But Pascal's workload and the shot diet that is, you know, given to him is exceptionally difficult. And I think I've been really, really impressed with what he's been able to do this year, given that his comfort zone is inherently kind of uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's an interesting point you make about that. Um, I think, uh, I think because of the years and we're going to get onto more of this uh, later on, but you know, coming off of like a Damar and Kawhi, two players who are pretty much just like, just give me the ball and get out of the way. Maybe it's not like what Nick nurse, maybe it's just inherently how he's determined how he wants his best player or number one option to get his offense is because you're coming off two players like that, who are just so cerebral in uh, isolated situations. Then Pascal gets there and, you know, he uh, post bubble or even like pre bubble, right. He, he had his abilities to, you know, beat a lot of players in isolation. Yes. But there were also player types that could probably handle him one-on-one, not necessarily case anymore, but it was kind of like a double-edged sword. Like, yes, you're able to, you have this space now around the 45 or the high post or wherever, where you're now now able to take your man one-on-one, but now you have to be able to do it. And that is, you know, it's a difficult task to take on, especially for a player who's so early in his stages of becoming like the guy. And I think he's handled it admirably, but also it's probably been an important part of his development is that he's had to go through those lumps those grinds, the missed shots, the bad shooting nights where it's so obvious that he's missing. Like you miss a layup through um, a pick and roll or you miss a floater. Okay. That's one thing. But when there's just like all the eyes in the crowd, on the court, they're all on you in isolation. So it it just feels so much more obvious when you miss a shot, you know? But yeah, if like you bust out a dribble package, has he has he between the legs, you try to burst past the guy. He beats you to your own spot you're trying to get to. You pick up your dribble and you do like the three pump fakes and then the leaning like toss at the rim and and you just graze it. Like that is an embarrassing play type. It's a lot different than a lot of other things that go on. It's also why like DeMar DeRozan got clowned on for so long, obviously, which is no longer the case, which, you know, rocks. But yeah, it's it's uh, the spotlight is really bright when you're a heavy usage isolation player. And Pascal over the past three seasons has been basically top five in isolation usage. They really go to it a lot. And that also speaks to Nick Nurse. Like, 
DeMar DeRozan ran a ton of pick and roll his last year in Toronto, but that was Dwayne Casey. And Nick Nurse doesn't love the pick and roll the same way a lot of NBA coaches do. He's kind of similar to Steve Kerr, that he wants to occupy the weak side, run a lot of off-ball action, and, you know, instill a lot of read and react stuff. He doesn't like the rote pick and roll possessions. And Mm -hmm. given the talent on the roster, that makes some sense. But it's also, you know, a bit of hubris on his end, right? He's like, I can draw something up. They'll figure something out. And that's that's so they're not as static come playoff time. But... uh, that obviously didn't work in the in the Celtic series where their largest no. source of offense was the Kyle Lowry pick and roll and everything else was kind of, you know, booty cheeks, unfortunately. <laughs> booty cheeks, a trending term, which I really do. I really do love. <laughs> um, over the past, I would say five years or so, or really, I mean, since like, Pascal entered the NBA, the league has gone through a bit of a shift in how they perceive good offense. How do you think that has affected his development as a player? Yeah, that's really, really interesting. That's a great question because he is a bit of a throwback because he is high. He's a high isolation player, but he, the, the pull up three isn't really a part of his uh, repertoire right now, which means that mm-hmm. he's inherently not high efficiency and he doesn't grift for free throws at the same rate as a guy like James Harden or Jimmy Butler, maybe. So yeah, his true shooting percentage for a guy who has as many possessions as he does is lower than you'd like to see maybe for a star. You Typically, if a guy can creep around like 60% or yeah. 58%, that's really, really strong. He's he's kind of been hanging around 54 or 55. If, that, if you're a stats person, maybe that's meaningful to you. If you're saying like, don't talk about stats, keep them moving, I understand. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is funny that Pascal inherently doesn't have the same efficient counters that a lot of other players with his bevy of or his shot diet have and that's why it's important that he's shooting 40 percent in basically every quadrant of the mid-range or what's the Mm. what's the three term it's not quadrant quadrant is four triple yeah triple tertiant whatever the whatever the hell it is that's a good word tertiant yeah yeah every (laughs) every space where they measure the mid-range from like four to 10 feet on cleaning glass. And then let's say 10 to 15, 16 to 23 or something like that. He's shooting 40% in basically every area. And those mm-hmm. counters have been really helpful. But as the league has changed and you look at guys like Donovan Mitchell or Trey Young or Steph Curry, they are really dominating teams through dribble penetration, getting drop defenders on the back foot or shooting over top of them. And Pascal Siakam, and you can see Scotty Barnes mimic this a lot too. Actually, OG Ananobi. Basically, everybody who isolates a lot in uh, Toronto does this, but they'll constantly be, you know, vacillating between a post up and a drive. And they will do that with a live dribble. And that is a way for them to use their size and to slow things down for cutters because all three of them cut off of each other very well. And mm. that's what makes the Raptors' offense unique, I think, is that they are stylistically quite different in what they ask of their players. And that is because there is less pick and rolls and because OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam aren't typical pick and roll ball handlers. So what do you get from a lot of those guys is the 45 extended trying to get like these crab dribbles into the lane, see what kind of defense comes over. Is there a pass available? And Pascal has thrived doing that this year because his pacing has been really good. And especially lately, I think he's got five assists per game over the last 11 or 12 games. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, he's had a great awareness of where the guys are on the court and where the help defense is. Like Sometimes you can even see these guys time their drive based on when the defender is stepping out for their three-second violation, that kind of stuff. So he's had great awareness, and his touch has been phenomenal. Depending on where you get your rim-finishing statistics, I think it it goes as high as like 76% on basketball reference, and then... Uh, cleaning the glass, I think it's closer to 70 or 71%. But he, he's been awesome in a changing league. And uh, yeah, it's just another adjustment that he's made in, uh, man, a career full of adjustments. That's all it has been for him. My hot take at the beginning of the season, and I'm not going to put the man on blast who said I was crazy for this, is that I thought Pascal was going to average six assists a game this season because I thought that coming off last season, he actually, I mean, 
some to maybe not feel this way, but I felt like he had a really good season in that there was just a lot of lost opportunities in the assist column for him because he just didn't have the talent around him to benefit from that. But now this season, I felt like, you know, between his progression and, you know, the, the players that they're, they brought in late in the season and also just overall growth between an OG, a Fred, that column would be able to skyrocket. And it would be a pretty consistent uh, number that he'd be able to get at, especially having a player like, you know, a Precious Achua, players who are reliable in that dunker spot, because, you know, last season, Aaron Baines go down the line. They just, he just didn't have that uh, ability to finish down low. And now not necessarily that he has that now, but he probably has players who are going to be able to benefit from his gravity, even just like through some of those like underhand passes that he's doing now, like really like right below, like right underneath the basket, he's finding players you know, I wonder if uh, if there are times in his career where he's had to kind of adjust on the fly to the, the changing NBA. Like I look at it like you know, a couple of years ago, the model was layups and threes. And that's pretty much it. There was no like middle ground and hell, even like Nick Nurse has said that we want layups and threes. But then the mid-range kind of went away, but now it's sort of back, it feels like. And the mid-range area, I feel like is an area where uh, a star players, a LeBron, Devin Booker, some of the best scorers in the NBA, I guess, excluding Steph Curry, because he's like his own beast. But if you don't have a mid-range game, like you're kind of limiting your your ceiling as a player, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's well, especially that's kind of in the blueprint. And that's the way that a lot of people talk about it is that when you're shooting a lot of mid-range jump shots, you better be good at it. But if you are good at it, shoot a lot of mid-range jump shots because defenses typically have no recourse to stop it. There's a lot of ways to try and deter um, three-point jump shots. And that's something that, you know, the, the macro statistics suggest that it's really hard to imprint um, your defense upon three-point percentage, but defenses can often, you know, account for lowering three-point attempts. And, like, there's a walk-and-trail defense that's been very popular in Milwaukee for a long time. They've obviously been a super great defense where the, the big drops, that's typically Brooke Lopez, and the guy over top for many years, it was Wesley Matthews. Now it's like Drew Holiday's. You lock and trail on the guard to funnel them down into a place where they're between mm -hmm. like 18 to 13 feet. And if it's at 18 feet, it's a difficult shot because the guy behind them is going to contest and it's going to be close airspace. And if it's at 14 or 13 feet, you're getting really close to the dropper and you have to shoot over a contest from Brooke Lopez, who is huge and a really great defender. And you know, a lot of teams adopted that and a lot of teams really, they can go to a drop or their guys won't come as high against these screens. And so it puts you in a position where you have to start making jump shots from the mid range to punish teams because they're not going to give you anything off of your, like just your rote actions. Like if you have a Chicago action coming out of the corner, that's just like a, a dribble handoff. That's not going to move a bunch of teams during the regular yeah. season. Sure. It does in the playoffs, in the pressure cooker, it definitely doesn't. They'll just switch across. They'll just stay right in front of you and they'll work really hard to do it. But, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Donovan Mitchell, a lot of these guys who have really popped off in the playoffs from points where you're like, wow, that's where the shooting comes in handy. And you can really tell the value of it. It's nice to see Pascal, especially a guy who, who doesn't run a lot of pick and roll. So he doesn't have to worry about the lock and trail, but he certainly has to worry about the drop and teams you know, like you watch Pascal highlights, you can see a lot of the time there'll be, you know, four sets of feet in the paint opposing him. They really load up on him. I know. And, you know, <laughs> it's tough to get into the paint when that's the case. And the Raptors, the Tampa Bay version of the Raptors will be very aware of what a three-point drought looks like. They'd be up by 15 in half the games last year, and they'd always end up losing because they'd stop hitting threes. And the three-point pass that's one pass away is typically the pass and the shot that leads to a lot of droughts because it's an okay shot created, but it's left up to variance. And Pascal Siakam being able to get into the mid-range and mimic some of the you know uh, larger volume scores of this era is a way that he can keep the, you know as I mentioned earlier, a way he can keep the Raptors offense going. And for him to pick that up makes him just more diverse because it means that guys also have to press up on him differently. And when he goes into the, like that little shimmy and then he gets into like this half post up type thing where he still has his motion and still has his dribble mm -hmm. 
it's made his passing more dangerous from that area. It's made his shooting more dangerous from that area. And it's also meant that people are a lot more susceptible to his first step. And that's, that's impacted a lot of different things. Also, you, uh, you mentioned his playmaking and like six assists per game. That's a pretty good call out, except right now, I think he's too good at scoring to actually get the six assists because like, you know, like the, the pick and roll, the basically the best pick and roll in the NBA, the two best is Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And then it's uh, Trey Young and John Collins. And they're yeah. the best because of finding the guy on the roll. And Pascal Siakam doesn't get to find role men very often, which is a huge, that is where assists come from in the NBA is finding the guy on the roll. Pascal doesn't get any of that. So that means that Pascal is just taking the defense, manipulating it from a standstill and creating great shots. So mm-hmm. the six assists, man, if he had a more traditional type of play type diet, hell yeah, he definitely has the, the chops to do it. But uh, yeah, the, the play type is not friendly to him currently. So if he yeah. averages around five, I think that's like a huge victory. Yeah. We've been teased by some two-man game between him and Scotty and him and Fred. I think he's, he's done a really good job of finding Fred um, in transition or some of those spot of threes. And then with Scotty, um, I would love, I mean, like, I mean, Jesus, how many have said it? It would be cool to see some like OG and Pascal pick and roll, some Pascal and, and Scotty ones, because I think you know, when you talk about rolling and being able to fish under the basket, um, the strength that both of those guys talking about Scotty and OG have, like there's an ability there that this isn't really being used. And with the Raptors offense now, it's pretty good, um, but there's so much potential there, and you want to see kind of them use that ability, like the uh, the the five tool players that they have when it comes to passing and shooting and scoring and transition and all that kind of stuff. Like you have so many players that can do a lot of different really quality parts of basketball on the offensive end. You want to see them use all of it. Like I want to see a Pascal and and Gary Trent pick and roll. We've seen a little bit of that, but I want like there's you can do all of this with their offense. We're getting into kind of their offense now, which I guess is part of the Pascal conversation, but there's a lot of untapped potential <laughs> that if they were able to grasp some of that and use it, I think it could make their offense very unique and they're already a very unique defense. And I think that's kind of, you know, part of the role, it's part of the plan, but they could be also that on the offensive end, if they really, really tried to be, you know, that kind of offense, I think they should do it. Will they do it? I'm not sure. Yeah, just a quick, like, the, the interesting thing is that, especially with OG and Pascal, you have guys who, you know, are different than adjacent Tatum because, you know, both of them are much better screeners and rollers than Jason Tatum or pick and pop. And while OG is a, probably a closer player to a guy like Jason Tatum stylistically than Pascal is, that's what makes OG and Pascal so unique is especially Pascal from the corners, the ability to space the floor, but also to set screens meaningfully in a lot of these set actions and then take isolations and post-ups. It's, it's very, they're very unique players and the, the offense. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. does emulate that and kind of 
it is a reflection of that because you have these high usage players who just don't run pick and roll. It's kind of astounding mm. because, uh, you know, the Warriors do it, but they have these trigger men, they have split action, and they have these face cuts from Andrew Wiggins. And the Raptors is a little bit more uh, vibesy, I would say. Like, you know, <laughs> create, let's, like, that boy nice. Let's see if he can do something, you know. <laughs> That's a nice way to look at it. Uh, on this Pascal and kind of how, you know, becoming the guy, like there's a lot of read and react to it as in like, you have to just kind of take what the defense is given to you and just kind of roll with it. And I think he, he struggled with that at points last season um, or even earlier on in his career, because he just didn't have like that bevy. That's a great word. Bevy, that bevy of skills and kind of the foundation. So like a player like LeBron, for instance, and I found this interesting and it kind of just speaks to how LeBron has just reacted to what's been in front of him. So this year he's averaging 6.5 assists per game. That's his lowest since his final season in Miami in 2014. But on the other end, he's averaging his most shots per game and also his highest points per game at his age, which is still ridiculous of 28.6 points per game. Uh, that's the highest since 2009. And so we kind of know the deal with the Lakers right now. They had a plan. They felt like they bring in these veterans, a lot of, uh, veteran talent, Mello, Westbrook, so forth. And they'd be able to have like this really unique offense players. You can do a, like five tool players, players you can um, read and react on, on the offensive end in ways that not many players can in the NBA, just because of their wealth of experience. But obviously that has not worked out. They don't have the three point shooting. And so LeBron has taken it upon himself to shoot and score more. And with Pascal, um, that ability to kind of, look at what's happening around him and understand what's expected of him and to kind of execute on it. It's not something he always had, which is okay, but I think the expectations were there that he should be able to, which were probably weren't fair because he wasn't there yet in his development. And so, you know, coming off clear options, like number one options, like, you know, Damar and Kawhi, um, I think, he struggled a little bit with that because I think he maybe thought that he should be that person who should already be there. And I think that kind of affected his confidence over the course of these few years. And in some ways, you know, the time away from basketball, less media coverage because we simply weren't able to speak to the players. Um, everything was in that zoom world. And so we only had to speak, you know, once every couple of days, as opposed to after every single game, I think that kind of helped him realize who he was, what his potential was, um, how good he truly was when for a while, I think it, his confidence really did dwindle. Yeah, that's, it's always tough to, to really like parse out, you know, w what a player's mind frame is unless they're actually giving you those quotes and that's completely their prerogative. Like yeah. when, when Chris Boucher had said that he was meditating and that was a big key for him to be able to play better and play more simplistically, as you said, he's in, been in a nice run of form like without him saying that you'll all you do have to do is guess and pascal has he's he's left like a, a trail of breadcrumbs i guess saying like yeah this was difficult for me here this was difficult for me here so yeah i'm just glad that he seems to be in a much better place as far as like just how his disposition in any sort of way like when when i was working the games when i was in toronto like he was like a media darling a media superstar he was super happy after the game yeah. He, nobody even asked him, but he told that story about his like his little niece peeing on him. And it's like, wow, that's a great story. You just brought that <laughs> out. Like, you know what I mean? And as yeah. far as the the LeBron comp, like, yeah, that's that's the, the biggest conversation that I think isn't often had because it's a tough conversation to have. How can you discuss how a player fits in a roster contextually unless you know a lot about the team? And people who cover the league should be able to like, and, and you bringing it up, of course, because you should be able to do that because, and I should be able to do that. But for fans, like, should they be like, okay, well, I know how the Lakers are built. That's why LeBron has had to start playing a style that's radically different than what it was even three years ago, because the team needs him to play a different way. This isn't what he chose. This is where he's at. And that is something that happened to Pascal as well. Like Pascal was you know signing these contracts he was definitely discussing a contract with the raptors while they were also trying to sign Kawhi leonard back to the team yeah like pascal siakam probably was like hey maybe i can get a max while Kawhi gets a max maybe we'll grow together and then he didn't get that 
And then for a couple of years, like, you know, he's playing with these big guys, Marcus All and Serge Ibaka. And the team is like, it has a lot of guards. It has a lot of bigs. And he's the guy who's playing kind of that wing role and OG spotting mm -hmm. up and doing some nice things alongside it. And then immediately all the bigs are gone. And it's like, you're a big now, be a big. And, and also create on offense as a wing and just do everything, please. And he's like, oh my God. Like, as you can hear yeah. him scream after he doesn't get a foul, like, oh my God, you know, you hear it on the court. It's, uh, it's tough to ask players to do a multitude of things and then to change up that ask year over year. Like Damian Lillard has been asked to do the same thing eight years in a row. And he, and this is his first down season. Everything just kept trending up as far as like his offensive numbers and, Guys who get a repeatable context get to find what they're really good at in that. And Pascal Siakam has not been afforded a repeatable context. Not He hasn't had, you know, a stable situation to go back to. Everything has been in flux, basically. And mm -hmm. I think we're seeing him come out on the other side. As I said, divergent progression. Um, looking better than ever, having accumulated so many different skills in his uh, odyssey, his adventure. When he uh, had his struggles in the bubble, um, I was one who was this kind of question like, is he, is he better off just kind of honing in on his skills as a stretch four, or should he continue to pursue this point forward role? Because, I mean, you look at it very simply, like, do you want to hone in on one skill or do you want to get better at 10? Because becoming that point forward, it's difficult. There are very few player player types, like you mentioned earlier, who are like that because they're, it's a lot of work. Not that he's scared to work, but how much, like, how long is it going to take for Pascal to get there? Because TikTok, time is still going to keep on moving for us. Um, and that's kind of why he's not exactly like a typical Max player, like a, a Giannis, or just the expectation that you see from like, you know, some of the media types on, on television. It's more focused on your scoring ability. Are you able to average 28 points per game or more? Are you able to be like the quote unquote guy at the end of a game? But with Pascal, his max player ability isn't showing in the same ways because of the ways that he's able to influence the game across the board. And I don't think that's really appreciated because it's not really spotlighted. You know, you don't really see the amount of ways that Pascal affects the game, the subtleties. It doesn't really show up in the box score either, but other than, you know, his, his net rating when he's on the court. And that's always been, you know, one of the, the best parts of his game. And one of the things that, you know, probably uh, has helped his career. Look at that Celtic series that we talk about. Yes, he struggled on, on, on offense, but defensively he was a monster. But you're not going to talk about that because why would you? Because he shot, you know, one of 13 or whatever it was. And that ability or that quality of his kind of didn't help the way that he's been perceived as a max player because it's as again like it's uncommon he's an unknown he is a person that just isn't really typical in this nba space well that's yeah that's like the whole point that's the point i love to make especially with with pascal is that when we look at basketball and a lot of people who are not obsessive fans of the game and like a casual fan is not a pejorative like being a casual fan is good i'm glad you're casually a fan of something you don't have to know everything that's going on like people want to have deeper conversations about basketball do that if you want to just say like man i loved kobe i love jordan i loved lebron i loved the mega stars of the game then how you view basketball will be through the filter of a kobe of a jordan of yeah. lebron and when players look way different it's going to be much harder for you to rationalize why they're valuable especially if you can't just look and say they score 28 points per game like what like demar Derozan resonates with so many nba fans he was number one in eastern conference guard voting for that reason he looks like the stars of the past and he's well and b he's been the best clutch player in the league and c he scores a hell of a lot of points but pascal yeah. like a lot of the a lot of the more important things are a little bit more minute, but they show up in a lot of areas that people don't really want to go look. Like I can put in my piece that like, wow, it's really impressive that since Pascal came back, Gary Trent, Scotty, OG, and Fred all shoot much better on drives. Why do we think that is? Because he has an overwhelmingly positive impact mm -hmm. on their gravity, on their spacing. Why is it that the aggregate of all of his half-court possessions with him on the floor across like a bunch of different lineups 
is 80th percentile and above. I think it's around like 85th percentile right now because he's super, super good for their half-court offense for the health of it. And those are things that like, why would you go look for that if you just sit down and watch the game? And, you know, eye test is inherently like false all the time. And you have to know basketball really well to pick up well, oh yeah, look, he didn't he didn't attack that screen very well. Look at the way his feet were set up, or he, sure. he didn't attack the top foot of the man and drop and stuff like that. Why why would a person care about that? And so that's what that's what like analysts are supposed to do is to shine a light on the underappreciated aspects of the games so fans can maybe be a little bit more appreciative or in the know for why a player is good. And Pascal is as a max player, a guy who really relies on succeeding in a lot of the ways that aren't as flashy. And, you know, that puts him in a position where people are going to have gripes. And it's really nice that he's having this huge run of form that people can come back around on it. And like, to be, to be frank, this isn't, this run of form isn't what Pascal's going to provide forever into the future. Like this is an incredible run of form. If he was doing this all year, the rap, like if he had been available, this is an all NBA player. This isn't like yeah. just an all-star player. This is a really, really great uh, performance. If he keeps doing it, I mean, hell yeah. But yeah, Pascal looks different than anything we've seen before, which means that you don't even get to say, well, he looks like this great player because he doesn't. He's just a great player who looks like Pascal Siakam. And I'm sure he'll be the, the reference point for players into the future. But people don't really like to say, oh, well, that's mm, Scotty Pippen. No, it's it's Pascal Siakam, and he has to he has to carve out his own path, and he's done a pretty damn good job so far. Yeah, I'm sure he's questioned himself along the way too um, on his abilities, and you know when you have those nights where he didn't shoot well, I'm sure it influenced his psyche, his confidence in himself more than it probably should have. But I think he's grown from all of that. He's kind of found his mama mentality, and that you know if you have a, a bad night, you have a bad quarter doesn't matter you keep on keep on shooting keep on finding yourself because you have the confidence in your abilities this season he's shooting 10 percent better uh between five and five to nine feet which is i think a a testament to his growth and also right over the last eight games he's six in points in the paint in the nba so two parts like that where you see that he's getting to the basket and he's developing those counters that are so necessary um, when you're in the paint to finding ways to just score the ball um, as we talk about him and his growth, he is kind of like DeMar in a way where you're kind of wondering, like after he comes uh, after an off season, like what skills have he, has he developed and what is he going to show us this season? What are some areas that you'd like to see him develop this season going forward? That's going to help him become an even better player. Okay. Well, there's, there's two big things for me. The first one is he's above the break shooting from three. He's, he's been a good three-point shooter for, well, he's been a good corner three-point shooter for this is his fourth year now. He, he can shoot threes from the corner. But the thing is, like, Pascal Siakam, by proxy of his role in the offense, is not going to shoot corner threes. Like, he, he just isn't. He has, to be above, yes. yeah, he has to be above the break to initiate offense or to be a release valve if the offense doesn't go well. Or for whatever reason, right? Like, he'll be above the break. Even Gary Trent Jr. is above the break because... Uh, uh, some players like Precious or Kem can provide a smidge of spacing in the corner just because corner shots are something defenses always pay attention to. But if you put them above the break, their defender is just going to sink down into the paint. If Gary Trent Jr. is above the break, the, def- the defender can't sink in. So Pascal is not positioned in the corner. So above the break shooting from three, yes. He basically had one year where he shot it well above the break, and that was his um, all NBA year. Every other year, he hasn't shot it well above the break. I still think that's in a prove them situation. And then the second thing is jump stops in the lane. You, actually, Scotty Barnes is tremendous at jump stops in the lane. Like Scotty Barnes, when he goes into isolation, he does his gather to get into the middle of the floor. He mm-hmm. jump stops really well. Pascal Siakam jump passes and he jump passes long passes. And that's a lot of his turnovers are when he leaves his feet. And a lot of times he'll be kind of off balance in air. There's not a lot of strength there. You can't put a lot of zip on the pass. And since you leave your feet, guys get to start making that read as defenders to jump the passing lane. If he goes to a jump stop, that means that he'll have more time in the paint. It means that he can use his footwork afterwards. And it means that there's usually a bounce pass 
and the above and just the regular pass available to you. Nobody bounce passes in air. It, it just makes no sense. And so you create more angles when you jump stop in the lane. I sound like a coach because if anybody's played basketball, your coach told you to do the jump stop in the lane. Like, yeah, you have so many options now, you know, make sure your, your pivot's correct and all that kind of stuff. But Don't leave your feet for a pass. Yeah. yeah. But Pascal would really benefit from that, like, especially since he'll be able to gather and then go up for a layup, depending on how the defense reacts. Or, you know, there'll be, to use the term you love so much, a bevy of passing options for him. So above the break shooting and then jump stops in the lane a little bit more often, I think will really, really help uh, his growth as a playmaker and even maybe like a push shot guy, right? Because you get there, the defense reacts, maybe they drop a little lower, maybe they think you're going to pass, you just pop up a little. Well, yeah. push shot. John Morant does it all the time. So, yeah, uh, Pascal can be John Morant, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> he had a couple of push shots against the Bucks the other day. I was very surprised. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it was very good. Um, I agree with everything that you said. Uh, if we're going to get, like, really nitpicky, um, some off-the-dribble threes would be really nice. That is, like, yes, obviously, that would be very cool. But, I mean, that's what we're talking about. How can Pascal develop? Well, off dribble threes. It's something that um, a lot of the best offensive players in the NBA, they have that skill set. And so if he adds that, um, as we've seen with him and also with the players, even like Joel Embiid and how the Raptors guard him, like the first thing you want to do is you want to get them as far away from the basket as possible. And then after that, you can set your defense. You have players like, you know, Fred at OG just kind of poking away at you, sniping in, <laughs> sniping in to, to kind of, uh, create a turnover off of your dribble and um, the more Pascal will be able to create offense further away from the basket is going to help him um, finishing around the basket. You kind of mentioned Scotty Barnes a little bit. And I think that Scotty's actually a very good finisher around the basket. He just has like that floating shot that um, yeah, it's kind of unheralded that he's able to do that. But I think Pascal sometimes with his push shots, his floaters, his hook shots, they're kind of flat at times. Um, who am I to be saying this obviously, but you know, the eye test is kind of there that he does hit the front of the rim quite a bit. And also there just isn't arc on it. And I think that probably comes with comfort, um, kind of a steadiness in the lane and being comfortable with uh, even like a jump, a, a jump stop, right? Is that if you set your feet, you're able to go up, you'll probably have a better chance of not just hitting the shot, but also getting a bit more arc on it. And then his, his handle, which again, we're talking about, you know, the ceiling of Pascal Siakam. The more he continues to hone in on his handle and, you know, making that a bigger asset in his offense, it's going to help his game. Like when he's got bigger players on him, if he doesn't always have to, you know, use his speed to get past them, maybe it's more of his handle. It's going to kind of just make him age gracefully that play uh, late in the Bucks game where Chris Middleton was kind of picking him up half court. And I don't think the Raptors should have necessarily given Pascal Siakam the ball at like half court to create from that space, because I don't think he's necessarily there yet. But if he's able to do that, he's able to handle that kind of pressure, then it's going to make him a much, much better player. His handle has improved quite a bit, but that's that's something that I think every player wants to probably hone in on. OG Ananobi, he's got obviously some space to, to get better there. And uh, Pascal is no different. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point you bring up, leaving him above the break. Or like near half court, by the way, because that handle being limited means that if he does get the burst by his guy, somebody's going to pinch in. He has to pick up the ball sooner, which means he's going to pass out of the air or he might get skipped <laughs> or he's going to be in a bad position to create offense, right? Like it's, yeah. they're going to reset. And especially against, you know, Milwaukee down the, the end of that game, they kept just being like, okay, isolate from out there. It's like, this is not an advantage. This is not good. Why are we doing nope. this? Nope. Give him the ball at the 45 extended if you're going to do that. But yeah, exactly. And he was cooking Chris Middleton. Sorry, no, yeah. I didn't interrupt you. But yeah. like he was cooking Chris Middleton from that space, like all game. Chris had no chance when you put him, you know, what, like 40 feet away from the basket. Like, yeah, Chris Middleton now has a chance. Now you're playing into his hands. Chris Middleton's a good defender. But in that situation, like now Pascal's vulnerable. Let's make let's make him confident in where he is at the, on the space of the court, especially in that situation. Like that's why, you know, LeBron, Bradley Beal, they dictate where they're going to get the ball at the end of the game, right? Because they want to they get to their spot and they want to hit their shot. 
Um, it's actually been cool seeing how DeMar DeRozan has grown in this area, right? He's talked, been very open about, you know, where he likes to get the ball and also how he's worked on being more confident on every spot on the court, or at the very least, you know, when he gets to the free throw line extended above the break around the 45, around the baseline, he's like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get to my spot. It doesn't even matter who's in front of me, right? Cause I've done this so many times, this particular shot, there's no way I'm going to miss it. And that's what you want to give your best offensive player or the person you're going to give the ball at the end of a game. You want them to be in a spot where they're like, I've done this so many times and their confidence is elevated because they know they can hit the shot. Sorry, just you touched on something that was interesting. So I wanted to make sure I got that in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, as we close out the podcast, I, I did want to mention one thing which I thought was important for Pascal, as you keep in mind, you know, how he's grown over the course of his NBA career. Um, some of the comments about his his draft profile, where he was then and where he is now. So a couple of things that, came, that stood out to me was it still feels like he's somewhat of a reach. Mind you, he was a 27 pick. He's not a highly skilled offensive player. And his player comps were Jamichael Green and Quincy Acey. Again, not putting anyone on blast, but that's where he's grown from. That's how he was looked at when he entered the NBA and look where he is now. Yeah, Damn. that's it's remarkable to go from that, like, especially when we look at the first two games he played, which I think he started, and he was just kind of running up and down the floor. He, I think he yeah. made two shots from, like, 18 feet, two catch-and-shoot mid-range shots, and, you know, that's a guy who was just getting reps in and did not look at all like the type of player that he is today. And then even how much work to get to this point, obviously, but how much work it took to get to the point where he was the bench mob version of of himself, where he was pushing mm-hmm. in transition and finding guys out on the break. And, you know, even for possessions, like guarding guys like John Wall in the playoffs and stuff like that, like the, that's, that's way above where Quincy AC and, you know, some people really like Jermichael Green and he's played on some good teams, but that's even above a place where Jermichael Green ever was. And he got there so early and obviously, He's here now. Just a remarkable story, Pascal Siakam. A great story. So for those who hate on Pascal, who question his abilities, I'm not trying to put you on blast, but this was a podcast to outline how talented he is, how rare he is, and how we should appreciate our max contract player because he's won a championship. He was a huge part of it. And you know what? he could be a big part of the Raptors winning another championship in the near future. So Samson, um, any work coming up that you want to outline? Uh, I'm actually in the midst of compiling data on like a massive Scotty Barnes piece. It actually should be um, unprecedented. I think like basically the statistics will mimic like what you'd get from a scouting agency or whatever. It'll be, it'll be really, really in depth. That'll come out, I think a week from now on like Thursday and it's basically just checking in on, like, once again, viewing Scotty Barnes through the lens of, like, what do other stars look like and what is he accomplishing currently? And so, yeah, the, the data will be just really, really good. And then, obviously, I'll do, like, play breakdowns and stuff like that with it. It should be, it should be great. We'll be looking out for that one. He's Samson Folk of Raptors Republic, talented writer, talented podcaster, very wholesome guy, nice dude, Saskatchewan living. Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. Thanks, man. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.